0: All right, here's what's going to happen on the Sports Pen with Tanner Hoops over the next hour here on espn UPWZAM WZAM, Ishpeming, Marquette. We have got one of our most packed shows for you today. We've got a local basketball team that just accomplished something that has not been done in over a decade. We've got fallout from the NBA All-Star Game, and could LeBron James be pushing the nuclear button? All that to cover over the next hour, but before I do anything, I've got to give a shout-out. Friday afternoon, I was having car trouble. Friday afternoon, when we had that snowfall that was getting a little bit rough, my car got stuck in a parking lot. My car got stuck about 20 feet from my garage in a parking lot. I could have walked there. I just wanted to stop quick. I had somewhere to be in an hour. I just wanted to stop at my home, get something for a little bit. So a few of my neighbors come out to help. One of them hooks me up to his pickup truck and is able to pull me out. So I thank him. We get to talk, and turns out he's a loyal listener here to ESPN UP. He's a big Chicago sports fan. He calls in to our ESPN affiliate in Chicago quite a bit. They know him already as Youper Zeke. So if you're listening out there, Youper Zeke, I appreciate you. I wanted to give you a shout out for your help. Thank you for your help, and thank you for listening to the Sports Pen and. Thank you for listening to ESPN-UP. For the rest of my listeners, do a good deed for somebody today. Go out and make somebody's day special. Hope your day's going well so far. Appreciate you tuning in, as always. So again, we've got plenty to go over today, including what if the best way that LeBron James can bring free agents to the Laker franchise is by employing the nuclear option. Plus, big news out of the AAF today, we talk about how that may affect other football leagues, and some baseball news as Manny Machado agrees to the largest free agent deal in American sports history, 10 years, $300 million with the San Diego Padres, who suddenly boast an infield of Machado and Eric Hosmer. That means all eyes are on Bryce Harper now. I could go into that. I want to go into that. But we have way too much of a pack show today. All kinds of stuff to go over here in the next hour, but I want to start with Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick recently settled his collision lawsuit with the NFL. Him and Eric Reid filed a joint lawsuit against the NFL claiming that owners were colluding against Kaepernick to keep him out of the NFL, to keep him unemployed by a National Football League team. The news broke about 30 minutes before we hit the air on Friday afternoon that the lawsuit was settled for an unnamed amount of cash. You have both sides claiming victory. Those who love Colin Kaepernick are saying justice. The NFL admitted it's wrongdoing. Kaepernick got paid. Now we need to get him back to playing. Those who do not like Kaepernick are saying he finally realized that he wasn't going to win this thing. And he buckled and he took what he could get. He decided to cut his losses because he knows there's no collusion case. And you have both sides of the argument with their media outlets that support them that are trying to tell you that they won. They're declaring victory for both sides. When in reality, the details of the settlement were not released. Probably will never be released. We don't know who won that collusion settlement between the NFL or Colin Kaepernick. Maybe neither of them won. Maybe both of them won. Maybe they were both at a place where they were satisfied. But either way, both sides of the argument are claiming victory. They're not telling you the truth. I respect my listeners enough that I want to tell you the truth. And that's what we're going to do here in this segment. My only rule for this is you take your personal bias against Colin Kaepernick and you check it at the door. We are approaching this strictly... From an athletic performance standpoint, if Colin Kaepernick is good enough to play in the NFL again, not if he should, not if he's deserving, not if you want him to or don't want him to because of what he's done in the past, check your bias at the door because I don't care. All we care about in the next 15 minutes is if he's good enough to play in the NFL And who really won this collusion lawsuit? Because both sides are going to tell you that they did. When in reality, they have no idea what the hell they're talking about. And neither do we. Nobody knows who won the collusion lawsuit. Colin Kaepernick might have said, There's no way I'm ever going to win this case against the NFL. And I'm going to cut my losses and take what I can get. The NFL might have said, There's no way we're ever going to win this case against Colin Kaepernick. When the NFL knows that they're not going to win a situation, they usually back off. That tends to be the M.O. with the National Football League. They want to make things go away, and that certainly may have been the case right here. We have no idea how much Colin Kaepernick settled for. Some estimates say it could be north of $50 million. But Mike Florio came out with a report yesterday that says the number could be much lower. He's saying less than 10000000 million. We're talking seven figures instead of eight. We have no idea how much Kaepernick settled for. This could have simply been both sides saying, this is as good as it's going to get. We're not happy with it, but it's not going to get any better. And maybe there wasn't a winner. To have a winner in this, we really need to know what the number was. And I don't know that we're ever going to know the dollar amount that was settled between Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed, and the NFL. Only Kaepernick, Reed, their lawyers, and the NFL, Roger Goodell and company, and his lawyers will know that number. So what is victory? Can you put a price on victory? What would be considered a win for Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed? How much money would the NFL need to fork over for that to happen? Or how much money could the NFL save by not having to settle with Kaepernick, or by not having to settle for the amount he was asking for. Keep in mind, Kaepernick asked for $20 million to play in the Alliance of American Football, a league that pays its players about 83000 a year. He wanted $20 million. That tells me he's more interested in being an activist than a quarterback, and this is where I want to approach it from the standpoint of, is he good enough to get back to the NFL? Again, check your bias at the door. I don't want to hear it. I don't care. This is sports radio, not social radio, not politics radio. We are going to evaluate Kaepernick strictly on a performance-based scale. Here's the truth of the matter. He took his team to a Super Bowl. at something very few athletes have ever done before. Took his team to a Super Bowl. They lost in the Super Bowl, but he got there. And that's more than some of the greatest athletes of all time can say. Some of the greatest athletes of all time don't even play in a playoff game. Yet they go on to the Hall of Fame. So Colin Kaepernick is reaching rare, uncharted territory for a lot of athletes. And leading his team to a Super Bowl. And playing on the biggest stage in the world. That happened when he was 25 years old. Back in 2013. The truth of the matter is... If we based every quarterback on what they did in the past, over half a decade ago, Joe Flacco would be one of the hottest commodities on the market right now. Eli Manning with his two rings would be one of the hottest commodities right now. The thing is, guys age, and Kaepernick's on the wrong side of 30 right now. And when he was still playing, back when he was in his late 20s, The most recent film we have on him is not good. It's not impressive. I think that's something we can all come to a consensus on. He was benched in favor of Blaine Gabbard. That's the most recent tape we have on him. Yet, he's turning down an opportunity to play in essentially a minor league football system. Where he has a chance to build up his resume again and make himself more attractive to an NFL team. The frustration for Kaepernick fans comes when they see players like Mark Sanchez, Jeff Driscoll, Josh Johnson, continually coming through the pipeline. Nathan Peterman started multiple games for an NFL team this year. He played for multiple teams this year. The Raiders saw what he did with the Bills, how he had a passer rating of 36. You get a pass rating of 39 for spiking the football, and they still wanted to sign him. That's where Kaepernick lovers are frustrated. You see quarterbacks like this continue to get jobs while Kaepernick is passed over. That's where they feel that there's collusion among NFL owners against Kaepernick. But here's the deal with that. Whether you agree with it or not, any team that signs Colin Kaepernick will take a major PR hit. Whether that's right or not, that's the cold hard truth. Team is going to take a major PR hit if they ever sign Colin Kaepernick. But I'm a firm believer that the NFL, no matter what your past is, no matter what you've done, teams will overlook it and they'll take that PR hit if you can help them win. The Browns just did that with Kareem Hunt. Did they take a PR hit? Absolutely. Will they once the season starts and all this controversy is rehashed? Absolutely they will. Eric Reed is a controversial figure. He was right on the front lines with Kaepernick when this protest started. And the Panthers took a PR hit by signing him. They took a PR hit a couple of weeks ago when they signed him to a contract extension. But you know why they did it? Because he is a quality player at his position. He might be one of the best in the NFL. He earned it. Teams are willing to take that PR hit for a player who can help them win. Colin Kaepernick is not going to be the reason why a team wins in the modern NFL. Not at the age of 31, not in the year 2019. Maybe back when he was 25 and taking a team to the Super Bowl. But not anymore. Teams aren't going to take that PR hit for a guy whose best role is being a backup. They will take that PR hit for a guy who can help their team win, who can make and break that franchise. But they're not going to do it for somebody who's going to ride the bench. Is that right or not? Is that collusion that you don't want to take a PR hit? Maybe you don't have anything against Kaepernick personally. Maybe you even agree with his cause. But if you're an NFL owner and you're risking losing season ticket holders, attendance, people's jobs could be on the line if you do this. Are you willing to do that? And if you're not, does that qualify as collusion? I'm not saying there was no collusion against Kaepernick. In fact, I believe there was. Statistics would tell you that, on average, there are probably a few NFL owners who did not sign Kaepernick specifically because of his anthem protest. Let's all acknowledge that collusion probably happened in this situation. But not wanting to sign a guy... Because you could severely damage your franchise. Maybe you don't have anything against him. But I don't know that that's collusion. That seems like good business to me. You'll take that risk for a guy who can help you win. Who can positively impact your franchise on the field. That's the big thing. I don't care what impact he could have off the field. Again, check your bias at the door. Anything that doesn't have to relate with his athletic ability, check it at the door because this is sports radio. And the fact of the matter is, Colin Kaepernick doesn't have it anymore. He's been out of the league for three years. He's on the wrong side of 30 years old. His last tape we have on him wasn't good enough to beat out Blaine Gabbert for a starting spot. He's not that good of a quarterback anymore. And teams aren't going to take that PR hit to sign him as a backup. That's just the cold, hard truth, the reality of it. And if he ever wants to play again, he better be calling up the AAF, because if they're willing to give him a shot, that's his only way that he can show an NFL team that he still has value to them. I don't believe that he's ever going to put on an NFL uniform again. Whether that's right or wrong, he hasn't earned it. He hasn't earned the opportunity to be a player in the NFL again. I don't care what he's done as an activist. I don't care if it offends you or if it inspires you. I care about what he's done as a player. Yeah, he took a team to the Super Bowl. So did Joe Flacco that same year. And he just got benched for a 22-year-old one-dimensional guy who was brought in to be a wide receiver. He's a hero to some. He's a pariah to others. But the fact of the matter is, he's been out of the league for so long And he wasn't impressive the last time he was in it. That's the cold, hard truth. That's what we know. Whichever side is declaring victory, that's the cold, hard truth. And that's what we know for a fact. We owe you our first time out. Let's take it now. When we come back, let's stick with football. But let's switch gears a little bit. The Alliance of American Football. What effect can that have on the Canadian Football League? I talk with an expert on the subject next in the sports pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the
1: ESPN-UP app.
0: Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Guest, join us on the phone line. John Hodge, writer for Three Down Nation in Manitoba. On to talk a little bit of pigskin with us as we get through the winter. John, as always, good to talk to you. Appreciate you being on air with us. I wanted to get your thoughts on the Alliance of American Football, the resurgence of maybe a secondary option to the nfl in some ways almost like a minor league system a farm system to the nfl in some ways shape and form and i wanted to get your thoughts on how this could affect the canadian football league going forward because the cfl is traditionally a league where americans could go up who haven't necessarily gotten a shot in the nfl or maybe are on the downswing of the nfl and certainly there's the canadian athletes they pair up with but from an american standpoint Plenty of players who aren't drafted out of college will head up there, join the CFL, and I wonder if the AAF might have some detraction from that. Tell me from your standpoint, covering the CFL up there in Manitoba, what you're noticing, how the AAF is affecting the CFL and leagues around it.
1: There is certainly an effect that is taking place on the CFL, and I would agree that it's been largely a a negative one. Uh, the, the, the very short term effect of the AAF has been has been very minimal, but I think teams are starting to get more concerned about the long term effect. As you said, when players wash out of the NFL, whether it 's for, for lack of opportunity or or for injuries or, or for whatever reason, any of the reasons why players can can fall out of favor down south their their primary option and, and possibly even their only option as of say three years ago was to come up north. And what we've seen time and time again is some players come up north and 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 play so well that they get back to the NFL. Whether you want to talk about a guy like you know Cameron Wake, who uh, about ten years ago now made the move to the NFL and is arguably now going to be you know a Pro Football Hall of Famer after an outstanding decade-long career at the Miami Dolphins, still going into his late thirties, or. You want to talk about some other guys who, who, you know, maybe aren't pro bowlers, but have certainly made very respectable careers in uh, in the NFL. One I'll point out is uh, uh, Brett Jones, who uh, was the starting say, uh, starting center with the, uh, the New York Giants and the Minnesota Vikings over the last couple of years. So, you know, there, there are players who don't get that opportunity down south, come up north and uh, play CFL football, make their way back to the NFL. The more far-likely scenario for, for guys coming up north is they come to the CFL, they play a couple of years, earning close to the league's minimum salary of $54,000, and then while the NFL might not come knocking after a couple of years, they're then able to make some real money. They're then able to, on their second contracts, make hundred, dollars $150,000, and suddenly they're making a good living. Not NFL money, but certainly money that uh, you know your average person walking down the street isn't able to make certainly by their, by their mid twenties. And, and that is the concern I think for CFL fans is that those guys who a couple years ago did not have that opportunity to play elsewhere and, and would have come up, made minimum money for a couple years. And then, you know, turn that into a very reasonable career for, for five, six, seven years up North uh, suddenly those players aren't coming and you're not getting that top tier of talent. That's, maybe just not quite for whatever reason, making it in the NFL. Those guys, I think by and large, are are choosing the AAF.
0: So you look at the AAF and how it's able to bring in some of the players who don't get their shot in the NFL or maybe are on the downswing of their career. Is there any concern that Canadian players would be thinking of coming down to the AAF or is that more of something where if they're good enough and they're going to leave the country, it's only going to be for an
1: NFL job? Well, one of the things that that is affecting you know players on on both sides of the border, whether they play in Canada or the U.S., is the exchange rate. Right now, the the American dollar is is trading at about a buck thirty Canadian, which means that you know the CFL's minimum salary of fifty four thousand dollars is, is is approximately forty grand U.S. And so, even if you're a Canadian player who might, under normal circumstances, Prefer to play in Canada. We have seen some guys sign in the AAF. For instance, the first overall pick in this year's CFL draft, Mark Chapman, uh, fantastic receiver, uh, played his college ball uh, in the state of Michigan. Um, he he came close to signing with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, the team that drafted him. An NFL opportunity came up. He signed with the Denver Broncos. When he got cut by the Broncos, he said, "You know what? I can, uh, you know, I, I I could sign in Hamilton." But I'd be locked into at least a two-year deal, um, or I could sign in Salt Lake City and and play in the AAF. Now he hasn't played this season. He's uh, he's on their uh, their exempt list due to personal reasons. Uh, he's back at home in Michigan, from what I understand. But he's a guy who counts as a Canadian player in the CFL and has opted for the AAF. Another guy like that is Brett Boyko. He was a, a top pick of the BC Lions in I believe it was twenty fifteen. Uh Canadian born player, but a guy who played his college ball at UNLV, spent three years bouncing between a bunch of NFL practice rosters, some time in Philly, some time with the Chargers, and he's now playing in the AAF. He's a guy who when when, you know, three, four years ago, when he was drafted by the BC Lions, they figured, hey, he can you know, maybe he'll make the NFL, but more than likely within a few years he'll be back up in Canada sure enough, the NFL didn't pan out, but he's not up in Canada. And that's been, uh, that's been a wasted pick for them so far. And and a guy who I think would have been a heck of a CFL offensive lineman who's, uh, who's making his career down south.
0: Talking with John Hodge, writer for Three Down Nation in Manitoba, talking some cause and effect of the AAF on the CFL. In a situation like that, John, where teams in the CFL use a draft pick on a player who decides to play in the states whether it be in the NFL or the AAF what happens regarding their contract rights if something doesn't pan out for them in America do their rights get retained by their CFL team and are they still under contract with both leagues or all three leagues or who would be responsible for paying that contract
1: that's a great question Um, the way that the CFL works, essentially, when it comes to acquiring rookies, be they American players or Canadian players, is uh, what we call the negotiation list. And any team can put 50 50 players on that negotiation list at at essentially any time. And anyone on that list can only negotiate with that one particular CFL team. Um, Canadian players need to go through the draft process, but once the draft process is done, any player you draft, whether they come up to the CFL right away or whether they go down south, remain on your negotiations list, uh, essentially in perpetuity until you decide to remove them. Um, one example I'll give is David Onyemata, starting defensive tackle for the New, uh, new Orleans Saints, played his, his university football right here in the province of Manitoba, it was a U of M bison, uh, drafted in the fourth round of the NFL draft in, uh, I believe it was 2016. Uh, has been with the Saints ever since, has done some great things, has, has really developed into a solid starter for them in the interior of the defensive line. Well, he was picked by the Saskatchewan Roughriders Riders in the CFL draft. He was not the top pick in the draft, only because teams knew darn well he wasn't going to be playing in the CFL probably ever. And if he was, it was going to be a long way down the road. So Saskatchewan took a mid-round pick, said, hey, we'll use a flyer on him. And so, in theory, if he were to sign a CFL contract, he would have to negotiate with Saskatchewan. Now, I don't expect that's going to happen, but players can stay on there in perpetuity. Uh, one thing that the Canadian Football League and the AAF have have kind of a handshake deal on is to uh, recognize the opposite league's contracts, because I think both leagues recognize that it's not in the best interest of players to, say, play a CFL season, from you know late May through the end of November, and then turn around you know a couple weeks later and start camp in the AAF and play another full season from you know beginning of February through end of April. Uh, that's that's tough for for anybody to do. Uh, one football season, heck, is tough to make it through health wise with the wear and tear on your body. So we won't see players jumping back and forth between the CFL and the AAF contractually. But it is possible for for a certain player, you know, at some point in time, and we'll probably see it start happening soon, to have ended up playing in all three leagues, even if they can't necessarily be under contract at any one time in more than one league.
0: John, at what point does a player need to decide? which league he's going to play in for a given season? Are there different deadlines for different leagues that the other leagues are going to acknowledge? Or at what point does a player need to declare, this is the league that I'm going to be playing in for this season?
1: Well, the CFL's uh, free agent period just opened up on Tuesday. Their contracts ran through February 12th of uh, of this year. And what we're seeing now is, is a handful of players. One of them I'll, I'll, I'll mention, for instance, is Dylan Wynn, uh, a defensive tackle who, who played his college football at Oregon State has been in Toronto with the Argonauts the last couple of years as a CFL player. He's now a free agent, and he's free to sign in the AAF. He's not under contract with the CFL team, which means he can sign just like any other player. Um, with that said, um, should an AAF team sign him? And I'm not 100% sure at what point AAF contracts run out. I would assume it's next winter. Um, him signing that contract and remaining with the team uh, should mean that he's then ineligible to play in the CFL in 2020, or pardon me, in 2019, uh, provided he's not released by his AAF team. And the reason why a guy like Dylan Wynn, and there's a few more who are looking to play in the AAF as well are are wanting to go that route is 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 partly. Uh, you know, playing closer to home, and then partly financial as well. That the AAF is paying players seventy thousand American dollars for ten regular season games. The CFL, a lot of rookies are making fifty four thousand Canadian, which again is is approximately forty thousand American for eighteen regular season games. Um, so there is definitely interest, and in, and I think the CFL and the AAF deserve some credit for again acknowledging one another's contracts. Uh, I think both leagues have have gone about things the right way in that regard. Not, you know, necessarily trying to limit player earnings, but, you know, I, I think, again, it's in the best interest of, of everyone to keep the two leagues separate, recognize each other's contracts, uh, just to avoid the possibility of, of somebody trying to play 28 regular season football games in a calendar year, which, which again, I think is, uh, is probably not advisable for anybody.
0: Well, it's still about a year until they kick off, but has there been this kind of diplomacy with the XFL down the road? I know that the AEF, the CFL, like you've been talking about, have had a really good relationship and gone about it the right way, but have you noticed the same thing with the XFL, or what interaction, if any, has the CFL had with that league? That's an
1: excellent question. I I do not know uh, if there is a handshake agreement between those two leagues as of yet, um, I'm not sure if the XFL has any players under contract. I assume that'll start happening soon. But I'll say this, depending on, uh, on how the XFL uh, chooses to uh, uh, pay its players, how it chooses to you know, provide opportunities for those players to jump to the NFL, should they get an opportunity to make an NFL team, um, it's, it's entirely possible that for American players, the CFL will become the fourth option. And for a long time, by default, the CFL was the second option. And a lot of great players came up to Canada. Uh, whether they whether they returned to the NFL or not, um, and, and lit it up and, and gave fans the opportunity to, you know, fall in love with what they could do on the field and some of those players have, have made lives in Canada even, right? They, they they've retired in Canada, they live in Canada, they love Canada, you know, maybe they married a, a woman in Canada, they have Canadian kids and uh and communities love that in the cfl and 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 when americans come up to to canada play you know maybe play in a city they've never even heard of and then all of a sudden they end up you know seven years later retiring and and choosing to live there for for the rest of their lives um you know those things are going to happen far less frequently should the cfl become a fourth tier option and and the other thing is you know, the the CFL has thrived on having young American players come up, and and you know, depending on the year, you know, what team might have a nice little bumper crop of say four American rookies who who contribute a lot. And the question is, if the Americans are seeing the Canadian Football League as a fourth as the fourth option behind the NFL, AAF, and XFL respectively, are you going to get those impact rookies that? you got essentially by default for years and years and years. Because if you're not, that's going to obviously hurt the on-field product north of the border.
0: John Hodge, a writer for Three Down Nation in Manitoba, talking a little CFL and how it correlates with the AAF. John, as always, appreciate you being on here. We'll talk again soon and try to stay warm up there. It's a brutal winter.
1: (laughs) My pleasure, Tanner, any
0: time. We'll take a break. More coming up after this on the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops in studio with you about halfway through the show today, and I'm still behind schedule. Told you we had a packed show today, and there's a lot I want to touch on in this segment, but I've got a phone guest joining me shortly, so I'm going to have to run through it quick. But first, your Sports Center update. Steelers wide receiver Antonio Brown tweets that he met with team owner Art Rooney and quote, cleared the air on several issues, but both agree that it's time to move on. Brown also urged any team with guaranteed money to get in contact with him. Carolina Hurricanes owner Tom Dundon has become the majority owner of the Alliance of American Football for $250 million, essentially saving the league from folding after just two weeks. And finally, a Minneapolis man has been arrested for murder as part of a 26-year-old cold case. Law enforcement had been tailing Jerry Westrom for weeks, suspecting him of the crime. They finally found the evidence they needed at a hockey game when Westrom was eating a hot dog and threw away his napkin. Police recovered the napkin and tested it for DNA, which matched the 1993 crime scene. Felled by a hot dog napkin. That is your Sports Center update. This is the Sports Pen. Glad that you're with us on Tuesday afternoon. Let's switch to basketball. We've been focusing on football for the first half hour. Let's take a look at basketball. How many of my listeners watched the NBA All Star game on Sunday night? Did you notice anything about LeBron James? If you're able, take a look at LeBron James in a Laker uniform. Just pull up a picture, Google image him playing in a Laker game. And then Google image a picture of him at the All-Star game on Sunday night. Don't do it if you're driving, if you're listening in the car. Don't try and do something like that. But if you're able, pull up a photo of LeBron playing for the Lakers in a regular season game this year and compare it to him at the All-Star game on Sunday night. Doesn't he look so much happier? I'm serious. If you're not looking at a picture right now, take a look at it. We're seeing pure joy from LeBron that we haven't seen since he became a member of the Los Angeles Lakers because he's playing with Kyrie Irving, Dwayne Wade, Kevin Durant. LeBron James didn't even have to be the best player on his team that night. He finally got a break from having to put a bunch of youngins on his back, guys who are over the hill and carry them and have all the weight of the Los Angeles media come tumbling down on him because the Lakers aren't in playoff position. From a basketball standpoint, has LeBron not aged about a decade in this little over half a season as a Laker? He's aged so rapidly from a basketball standpoint. He's not having fun anymore. And you know what? I don't blame him. I don't blame him a bit, and I'm not a LeBron sympathizer by any means, but can you blame a guy like that, an all-world talent, the best player of our generation, and arguably the best in NBA history? Right now, he's carrying a lot of young athletes, maybe not even young talent. Right now, he's carrying Lonzo Ball, who is an NBA bust. We can admit that, can't we? Lonzo Ball, when the Lakers had a chance to get De'Aaron Fox, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell. Don't tell me that Lonzo Ball is not a bust when the Lakers had a chance to go get all those guys. Kyle Kuzma is the most talented of that young group, but he's not ready for the role that he's being forced into with the Lakers because there's no supporting cast around him. Then you've got guys like Rondo, like Lance Stevenson, guys whose best years are behind them. LeBron is carrying a mix of young talent who's not ready and guys who are over the hill and the best days of their NBA career are behind them. And he's not having fun. LeBron went out to L.A. thinking, I've already got three rings. I've already accomplished so much. I'm going to go out there, star in Space Jam 2, launch my acting career, and just have fun with it. But you know what? That's not LeBron. As much as he tries to make you think that it is, as much as he tries to say, I've already got three rings, I've already proven myself as the best player in the game, that's not LeBron. He doesn't believe it for a second. You shouldn't either. Because you saw what he's been trying to do. He's been trying to bring players to L.A. LeBron still wants to win. He still wants another title. He absolutely does because he's a competitor. LeBron is a winner. He still feels like he has something to prove. LeBron can't tell you that he's content with where he is in his career and everything else is icing on the cake, yet he's out there actively recruiting players in Charlotte over All-Star weekend because he is tired of the situation he's in in L.A. And you know what? I don't blame him for a bit. The experiment around him, bringing him to L.A., and the team that's been put around him has been so poorly done that Magic Johnson, someone who put the Laker team on his back for the better part of a decade as a player and brought them out of the abyss, is now in the situation where he has to do that as an exec, and it doesn't look like he's going to be able to. So what does LeBron do? At what point does LeBron say that he's had enough? Here's where I want to take you in a different direction than the rest of the media has. Let me drop a hoops bomb on you. At what point does LeBron James ask the Lakers to trade him? Hear me out. In a day and age where players all over the league are publicly asking to be traded, superstars like Anthony Davis, It is such a problem for Adam Silver that he feels the need to address it at his annual state-of-the-game press conference. But what if the face of the NBA asks for a trade from the most storied franchise in basketball? Could it happen? The biggest thing is, would LeBron ever do that? If you would have asked me in July when he signed, I might have said no. But now LeBron's attitude is starting to show. He's a competitor. He's not a bad guy, he's a competitor, and he wants to win. And at times he lets his frustration show. It's completely understandable. All it takes is one moment of frustration for him to demand a trade. Would the Lakers ever go for it? What does Magic Johnson owe LeBron James? What obligation does Magic have to trade LeBron? Nothing, at least financially. But in public opinion, Magic has everything to lose because LeBron James has some of the most passionate fans in all of basketball and they know he's unhappy in his current situation. You don't have to be a LeBron fan to know that he's unhappy in his current situation. Laker fans aren't happy with the current situation. Think about the suitors that would want to pick up LeBron James for their team. Money wouldn't be an issue. LeBron is in the midst of a four-year deal. Money would not be an issue for anybody. They would sell the whole house to try and get LeBron James, especially a team that's right there on the cusp. And don't tell me that was where the Lakers were when they signed LeBron in the offseason. Everybody knew that adding LeBron wasn't going to turn the Lakers into a title contender this year. Everyone knew that. They knew this was going to be a three-, four-year project. But I think everyone knew that it wasn't going to happen with LeBron alone. Is there anybody who honestly thought that in three to four years, the Lakers could be a serious title contender with Kyle Kuzma or Lonzo Ball as a number two option to LeBron, who would be in his upper 30s by then? They need to get one more big piece. And you look at the big five that were out there this weekend, that LeBron was surrounded with, that he had his opportunity to make his sales pitch to. Kemba Walker, Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Clay Thompson. Truth of the matter is, I don't believe the Lakers are going to land any of those five. Kemba Walker, franchise player in Charlotte. All-time leading scorer in franchise history. He'd be a great piece with LeBron. that would be a great complimentary piece. Could you imagine? But there's no way that he's leaving Charlotte. They're going to ink him to a long-year deal. Keep him locked down. Clay Thompson. Unless the Warrior front office is content with putting their jobs on the line, they're going to ink him to a long-term deal. They're going to keep him around. Kyrie Irving. Despite the recent bromance that's been happening lately, I think it's more likely that he re-signs with Boston to a long-term deal, or even goes to the Knicks before he goes to the Lakers. Anthony Davis. Their best shot was at the trade deadline to land him. But the Pelicans want what Boston has to offer, and Anthony Davis is likely going to be traded to Boston this summer for Jason Tatum, and maybe he'll fall in love with what Danny Ainge has going on there and decide to re-sign in the offseason, and him and Kyrie Irving get set to turn Boston into a dynasty. And finally, Kevin Durant, why would a top two player who has his own legacy to prove and wants to prove, he believes that he is the best player in basketball, why would he agree to become LeBron's sidekick? Not when he has his own legacy to prove. For another thing, you think thin-skinned Kevin Durant would survive in the Los Angeles media? Look at the toll the L.A. media has taken on LeBron. You think Kevin Durant could survive in that? I don't know that the Lakers are going to get any of those five or any big-name superstar to team up with LeBron. And at what point does LeBron realize this, realize that if the Lakers don't give him a top-tier NBA talent to help take some of the pressure off, at what point do we all admit that this Laker experiment with LeBron was a complete flop at what point do we all admit that and at what point does LeBron realize that and ask to be traded if LeBron asks to be traded that puts all the pressure on Magic Johnson and the Laker front office because you're not gonna win with just LeBron you're not gonna win a title and you know that somebody's willing to give the whole house everybody and their mother in order to get LeBron Because somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to put together an absolutely ridiculous offer to try and get LeBron on their team. If the Lakers were willing to do that to get Anthony Davis from the Pelicans, someone's going to be willing to do that for LeBron James. So then you give yourself a better shot to build up the Lakers. A whole new crop of talent for Magic Johnson to work with and try to rebuild the Lakers. Maybe multiple all-NBA players in exchange for one couple old NBA guys, some role players, maybe some draft picks. That's how you rebuild the Lakers. And if Magic doesn't make that deal, he's not only going to hear it from the LeBron fans who are unhappy that LeBron's unhappy, he's going to get it from the Laker faithful because they're going to realize that having LeBron on their team is not worth what they're going through right now. And they would rather have a young group That they can feel confident in a young group that's not centered around Lonzo Ball and Kyle Kuzma. The nuclear option for LeBron James is to ask to be traded. That's the only way that he's going to win another title before he retires, because it's not going to happen in Los Angeles. We owe you our last time out. We'll take a break when we come back. I'll be joined by Northern Michigan men's basketball head coach Bill Saul. His team accomplishing something that it hasn't done in over a decade. That interview next in the Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Check out the UP's live
2: and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at four on
1: ESPN UP and on the ESPNUP UP app.
0: The sports pan on ESPN-UP, Tanner Hoops with you, joined on the phone line by Northern Michigan men's basketball head coach Bill Saul. His team punching their ticket to the GLIAC tournament with a win at Lake Superior State over the weekend. Coach, first of all, congratulations. Take me inside that game. I know it was a game that when they came here last month, you were really disappointed with your team's effort. Felt like maybe that was one that got away from you. How rewarding was it for you to make adjustments, go into a hostile environment, and get the win that you did?
2: Well, it, it felt really good, Tanner. And, and to tell you the truth, uh, you know, I think the focus of our guys, um, their intent to play um, was was a big difference in the game. It's just, it's just interesting when you look at the stats uh, – the first time we played, Lake State had over 18 second chance points. Um, we played them at their place in their own environment and they had none. Um, you know, we got to the free throw line and, and we defended exceptionally well. And it was a really well played game. I mean, they were in the same position, you know, this desperation that you get to this time of the year of, um, especially in our conference right now with the Glee as much as of a dog fight it is every night. Um, it, it was a hard fought, well played game. And our guys did a great job perseverance. Uh, you know, at the end of that game we actually went on a huge run. We outscored them eight to two in the final stanza. Um, so, you know, overall just a just a gutty effort and really I'm hoping one that, that our guys are really going to uh, to get a feeling for what we have to do to be successful here down the stretch.
0: Hey, Coach, looking at the box score from that game, for about 85% of it, you guys were about as even with Lake State as you can get, score for score, bucket for bucket, what have you. What was it that finally got you on that run to get you over the hump down the stretch?
2: Well, you know, it was it was a heavyweight bout, so it's like they would answer, we would answer, um, and I, I really think down the stretch it was interesting. We had a, a immediate timeout at the four-minute mark, and... We really challenged our guys that, you know, on the defensive end is, is where we've been good here uh, in the stanza of late like January and February. And, and we needed to, to put together, we always talk about a triple, you know, getting three stops in a row. And our guys did an amazing job um, in those three possessions of, of really just doing it as a team, playing great team, man to man defense. And we were able to, uh, to get those stops and then did a great job, I thought. Um, on our side of the ball, where we got a couple of misses and we ended up getting the offensive rebound. We had a possession that lasted about a minute um, with two offensive rebounds, and then, a, and then our stars, um, who have always been there for us this year, Naba Eccles and Isaiah Johnson, made a couple of huge plays down the stretch.
0: Another nice honor for Naba as he gets Conference Player of the Week in the North Division once again. Nothing new for him and nothing new for you to be able to talk about him, but tell me what he means to the team and what he's done during his senior season.
2: Well, he's he's been uh, he's been the cornerstone of everything that's happened here. Um, you know, both those guys, Isaiah and Nava, have just changed the program in every facet. And um, you know, I I don't even know where we would be if, if we wouldn't have gotten those two. And you know, it's always interesting when you look back at a senior. Um, you know, they've developed tremendously over the, their time here. Um, but it's 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 just incredible to see what what they've done and how they've led. And uh, two of the best players in our conference. Uh, in this senior season and stanza right now have really done a great job of just taking over this team and uh you know i I, when when both of those guys are, are going like they are right now we're a very hard team to beat
0: well coach it's very easy to look at the box score see what those two are doing and give them credit they deserve it but how about miles howard the job that he's done on the defensive end tell me where you've seen his defensive game grow and how that impacts your team
2: well as much as we talk about those two and you do because they are the scores I mean I, I feel not uh, miles is the MVP of our team um, he, he is the true definition of the center on the defensive side he sees everything he communicates everything through any shot that goes up in the lane is either blocked or contested um, guys and that happens on defense a few times you make a mistake he's able to make up for it um, and, and he's just been tremendous and it's really been interesting to see his growth. Um, you know, last year um, we're still trying to get him to figure a few things out on offensive end, but still from last year to now, I mean he's he's up almost four four rebounds per game. Um, he's doing a heck of a job. I mean, I think now he leads. I think he's seventh in the country, leads the conference in block shots per game, um, and has just been. Uh, just, he's just one of those guys, right, that you need. It, it's the glue uh, that makes everything work. And again, it can't be happier for him because he's such a great guy.
0: Well, Coach, I teased before the break that your team just accomplished something that hasn't been done in over a decade, and that's qualify for the conference tournament and back-to-back seasons. Tell me about how you've seen this program grow and how much time you've put into it, how rewarding it is for you as a coach.
2: Well, Tanner, it's it's a journey, and it always is. And Taking over this program it was starting over from scratch. There was literally nothing here. And so it's satisfying now to, to see the program actually make the strides that it has. I think the thing for us is this year, which is a little different than last year, um, a little sense of, hey, we made the tournament, everybody felt really good about themselves. Um, th- this year, the hunger we have is, is, is far more than just making the tournament. Um, you know, I, we're, we're still here in three games left now. They're all on the road, which is tough. I can't thank the GLIA conference enough for giving us five games in a row on the road to the end the year. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where this, this team has a, has a way bigger focus of, of trying to accomplish some stuff here, not only at the end of February, but in the beginning of March. So we're really looking forward to, to yeah, an, a nice stop to say making the tournament first uh, back-to-back uh, times, I think, in 11 years. But now um, our focus is on much bigger things.
0: Well, you alluded to that you end this regular season with five consecutive road games. Has it been any kind of a struggle to keep the guys mentally tough through that? Not only that, but dealing with injuries, some soreness as we get into late February, and you got to take those long bus trips. Has that been a challenge for you and the other coaches?
2: Well, you know, for, for us, one thing is we are a veteran team, so these guys understand the seven-hour bus trips. Um, and Going and playing in a hostile environment, they get. Um, but it's always a challenge to be on the road, and you know all the things that come with it. You know we've had a couple of, couple of, of, of difficulties on the road, a couple of uh, you know bus uh, bus incidents where we're we're sitting there for about two hours on the side of the road. So you know a few things for us to overcome. But I, I, I think if you if you don't challenge the adversity um, and and aren't ready to go play, um, then then you're not really a, a team that's destined to do great things. And um, right now for us, um, you know, I think uh, our focus is, is really, um, hey, on the road or at home, we're, we're going to do everything we can do uh, to end this season on a super positive note.
0: Doug, with Bill Saul, head men's basketball coach at Northern Michigan. Coach, as you get set for the final three games of the regular season, what is going to be the challenge that you lay before the guys? What is the biggest thing you want to see out of them as you get set to get ready for the tournament?
2: Well, the big thing for us, and, it, and it's, just interesting how a season goes. You know, we started out the year and we were uh, just amazing on the offensive end. Uh, I, I think in our first seven games we were shooting over 50% from three. And then, and then we, we did a little bit of a swoon and suddenly shots weren't falling and we were trying to find our identity. And we've kind of come out of that tail swoon of really being a team that, that relies on how well we can defend, how well we can really challenge an opponent to have a difficult shot every time down the floor. And I think. Our guys have really bought into that. And really, the the, the staple is defense does win championships. And we're in a situation now where we're defending as well as any team in the conference. And again, as we start to continue on that theme of of the selflessness of playing great team defense, uh, it's going to carry us.
0: Well, Coach, you take really good care of the ball as well. You're top ten in the country and fewest turnovers per game. But tell me about your team's philosophy regarding valuing every possession.
2: It's a funny thing. We really don't talk about it much. I mean, we, we coach it up. Um, but we, we have, again, guys that are really keenly aware of where are the players on the floor. Um, they, they have really make really good decisions with the basketball. And, and because of that, you know, we, we don't. We don't turn the ball over that much. Um, and and it's, it, it's, it's an interesting thing because it's something that as a staff and as a head coach, we emphasize making sure you make the right play. But we've never even talked about uh, this whole year. Hey, look, we're we're only turning it over this amount of times. I mean, it's it's really just the discipline of our guys doing the right things.
0: Coach as always appreciate you taking the time. We'll look forward to talking again soon. But go get them here down the stretch. Looking forward to the hey, tournament.
2: Appreciate it, Tanner, a ton. And uh, again, hopefully we can uh, we can get some things done here. Get a home game for the tournament and have uh, all of our catch show up.
0: Bill Saul, head men's basketball coach at Northern Michigan University. That's it for us in the sports pen. Tune in tomorrow, same time and place, 4 Eastern, 3 Central on ESPN, UPWZAM, Ishpeming Marquette.